Vince Del Monte is the OG of online fitness marketing. He began his career as the skinny guy's savior, helping thousands of people gain self-confidence and personal mastery through muscle building transformations. Vince then founded the Seven Figure Mastermind. Did you become derailed? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, what did that look like? Um, I think the thing, the thing is, is that I was blind to it. That's, that's the interesting thing. I think everyone we're watching on social media who's projecting a lot of this stuff that we think they've figured out, they don't even know that it's got a stranglehold on them. People will relate to chemicals probably much more. Now they're starting to show that workaholism has the same chemical effect on your brain as alcoholism. It has created the same neural pathways where it becomes addictive behavior. Working too much is an addictive behavior. Adrian is the head coach of Bedrock, the full year men's development program that helps good dads install great habits to help their families thrive. Let's be real honest here. Sometimes you go through seasons of marriage where you don't have sex for a long time because of, for example, when my wife was pregnant, right? Like, you know, just how she felt and then, you know, the recovery from the birth. Like, you just go through seasons where if my if my identity is tied up in how much time we're having sex, does that mean I'm a bad person or I'm, I'm less of a man during that? Of course not. That's when I rose up as a man the most, right? To provide for the family when she was so exhausted. Adrian is also an award-winning educator and executive director of Hope's Rise. The number one form of intimacy. This is, if there's anything ever worth writing down in what I say. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So on today's episode, we have Adrian and Vince Del Monte, two legendary brothers. However, two brothers that have taken very different routes in their life. Vince is the world's number one fitness business coach. Adrian is a full-time school teacher and has also built a foundation of uh, of men that he helps with his with his uh, with his good work as well. So he's moving into the space of of men's work, which is is great to see. And I want to speak to Adrian and Vince and understand the the journey they've been on and how they've got to this point in their life and of course take insights from their successes that you can apply to your life and your business going forward. So that's the first question to yourself. We'll start with you, Adrian. What do you feel has been the greatest influence in your past that has brought you to this point in your life today who is that's that's made you the man you've become today and created this life that you live today hey thanks for having us gavin um that's a good question as you're asking i'm like one thing that shaped me you know vince and i did have i'll touch on a couple things but then i'll hone in on one um we grew up i would say a huge influence on our life is competitive endurance sports like for us we we grew up as you know, our, our, our grandparents immigrated from Italy. And so our father got into competitive distance running, which would have been very unusual, right? For like our, our father, son of immigrants, like going for runs, like that would have been an odd thing, but he got a D1 scholarship and then passed on running to us. And then that turned into running triathlon for, for a lot of our formative years. Vincent, I have a lot of funny stories of like going head to head like we're three years apart, which now it's nothing because we're in our forties. But when you're in your teen years, like, you know, we were always competing and, you know, I would get really competitive and hated getting beat by my older brother, but running taught us so much about discipline, about like overcoming fear. Like I watched my sons this year, Gavin, on the start of the cross country line and they look petrified, but it's so good for them right? In the modern world, life is so easy. It's like you could live your life in your house. Like just Uber could bring you everything, your groceries, you could work from your couch, like your whole life. 
So watching my sons on the star line, I remember how formative that was for us. Just you have no one, nowhere to hide. You just have to run against these other guys. It's 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 a mental game. And so running for us was a huge thing. And then it formed a core identity for me, right? Like whenever my friends were getting into stuff as we got into high school and university and they were going out drinking. And I could always say when I didn't want to do something or, or cause we had a strong, I, I imagine Vince will touch on our, our faith upbringing, but you know, running gave me my like thing that I was going to do. Like, it was like, Hey, we're going out to the bar. It's like, no, sorry. Tomorrow guys, I have track. Like I could always go to that line. Sorry guys, I have track. Sorry guy. So it gave me an identity that like, I'm a runner. Like these are things that runners do. And you know, that, that has and then I became a triathlete and, and got into competitive swimming as well. And so that, that to me, my parents encouraging us to get into sports. And my mom did not grow up like with an athletic background. And then in our teen years, like I remember my mom trained for like 5Ks and she would be at the races with us. Not because she wanted to run a 5K for goodness sakes, but it was how she stayed in the game with us. And so I would say endurance sports for me was hugely formative. Mm-hmm. What about you, Vince? Yeah, I would say that was that was pretty big as well. Um, I would probably have to pick running. Um, I would say, you know, the kind of piggyback after that, though, you know, our parents were powerhouses as well. They were very um, strong, influential Christian figures. They had um, a lot of influence in their work. Uh, anybody who's had parents who maybe we're on stage that actually, um, subconsciously programs you, um, to, to probably live under pressure. You're not even aware of, I don't say that in a negative way, but there are some, um, dark sides to that as well that usually show up later on in your life. So seeing my, you know, parents work with a lot of people, you know, in their marriages, I mean, you know, they were saving people for the kingdom of heaven, you know, there's not much. You know, from a kid's lens, there isn't much more of a higher calling when you see your dad on a, you know, at the front of a a church um, preaching, you know, the word of God. It doesn't seem like there's anything else in life that could meet that standard of career calling. So I think there was a lot of subconscious pressure built to to perform or to do something significant. Um, So I think that was a, that was a pretty influential um, also kind of, um, inspired us not to waste, you know, our potential, like, Hey, look what your dad's doing. Look at this is, you know, and you kind of see what your other dad and no offense to like other careers and everything, but you kind of see like other, your buddy's dad's, you know, careers. My buddy, one of my best buddies, his dad, you know, was a barber. Another guy's dad was a chef. And I'm like, well, my dad is a pastor, right? So you kind of have some, pro- I mean, you don't talk about that with your buddies ever. That conversation never comes up, but deep down there's some pride in, look what my dad does. And wow. I think that really had a big influence on wanting to do something myself because there's also um, a shadow side of that where you you may feel like inferior or feel like you are, uh, what you do is not, worthy so when i got into the fitness industry which we chat about there was a lot of like, so my dad's a pastor and i'm a personal trainer well i really that that doesn't add up it's kind of like it was almost like a downgraded career it was like i was selling myself short so there was i didn't realize i've got more processing this you know 15 years later but i think that was um pretty influential growing up as well just seeing that so there, there was a an insecurity there that drove you on. I don't know if it was an insecurity. Um, I think there was a, it was a subconscious pressure, um, a, a pressure to uh, perform, a pressure to live up to a certain standard. Um, there was a subconscious pressure created to do something with your life, to live a purposeful life, to not waste your life. There was, um, I think and we grew was- up, Gavin. We we grew up on movies like. I remember watching Dead Poet Society, you know, the one with Robin Williams, like Carpe right? You know, it's just like, that's the stuff we grew up on. Like we would watch The Matrix. You know, most kids watched The Matrix, 
we like dissected it for biblical analogies afterwards. <laughs> Is there like this? We we just we, we do a Bible study on it after. Yeah, we did a Bible study on it it's after matrix, with our friends. Yeah, did invite your friends. Yeah, it is yes. a documentary. <laughs> sure, that's right. Yeah. So, and and the other thing that I would add to what Vince is saying is not only was it like our 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 parents lived these like careers with divine stakes, we were sort of the evidence if their work was working or not. Right. Like we, meaning, we probably subconsciously experienced like. If some kids got drunk on the weekend, they got drunk on the weekend. We were pastors and missionaries kids who got drunk on the weekend. And that's kind of like, right? So I think what Vince is speaking to when he came into the fitness space, it was unfamiliar for all of us, you know, especially when he went online and had his shirt off. It was like, what is, what is this like, is this Christian? Like, can he do that? Like Vince has been a trendsetter in our family, has, has, has challenged all of us to think differently. Mm-hmm. And that was a big, that was probably my biggest turning point when I decided to do something that uh, my parents did not advise. And I've processed this. Um, I recently went on a psychedelics trip, and probably not supposed to share that publicly, but there you go. And um, you, you did what? <laughs> I went on a psychedelics uh, NDMA, and, and I'm doing I'm, I'm doing one next week. So yeah. Oh, it's, an, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll you'll solve all the world's greatest mysteries in your own life. Now uh, you'll put together a lot of dots, which is what I did um, in this experience. And um, I put together a couple of interesting things. One of the things was that I realized that every significant um, decision I made in my life that like changed my life, my parents were not consulted, which was quite fascinating. And that's no knock on my parents. It was that I made the decision myself. I didn't ask for their opinion. I didn't look to their approval. I made the decision myself. And one of those decisions was to pursue the personal training industry. After spending $50,000 on a university education, missing my cutoff by a percent, supposed to go to teacher's college. Again, no knock on this, but that was like the path that was carved for me. And I went in a completely different direction, working for $10 an hour as a PT at a Guelph YMCA. And that ended up becoming one of the best decisions of my life. And then the next decision was when I decided to go online and invest into a coach, spend an exorbitant amount of money. Again, crazy, because I'd already tried all these other kind of side businesses like Amway and Sauna and multi-level marketing, and they all failed. So this was like even crazier to spend more money after multiple failed attempts to pursue something that was perceived as get rich quick. Starting your own online business, paying someone an exorbitant amount, that was perceived as like, what's things doing? It's like, are you rich yet? Like, are you trying to get rich? And both of those decisions by far greatest decisions of my life. Well, dude, we used to fight. Like we would fight about, because Gavin, my background, my background has always been oriented towards like, if I had to put a political spin on it, let's call it socialism. Just like taking care of the underdogs, right? And so my whole, you know, my father called it my liberal arts degree. Uh, and then, you know, my wife and I now run a charity for inner city kids. So my whole lens in life has been oriented towards social justice, let's call it. And so when Vince started reading books like um, Get, uh, uh, I don't think he had any or Get Rich, but... Rich Dad, Rich Dad Poor Dad, which, which I read last week, and it's fantastic. I should have read it 20 years ago. Um, the four-hour work, we we used to, like, fight. And again, we were, like, young 20-year-olds, so we didn't have emotional maturity. We were all, everyone, we all knew everything, right? So we just had this tension. And, and so it was totally just interesting to have your worldviews challenged by your own brother, right? This is This is just how it kind of went for us, and we both, and I think as we've matured over the years, we've come to see each we've come to see each other's points of view. But in your early twenties, I don't think you have the life experience to realize that the relationships are more important than the principles that you're you're learning. And so you like put your principles ahead of the relationships, and it's it can be awkward at times. We had some awkward Christmas dinners <laughs> where you were like, you're trying to figure yourself out, right? You're in the, you're in the warrior stage of life. Um, you know, you haven't become a prince yet. You haven't become a king yet. 
um, even become a sage yet. You're you're a warrior. You're out there trying to figure things out for yourself. You're trying to figure out your place in the world. You're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to you know find your identity. You know what? Because running was also over for us too. That's a good. That's an important point. Running ended for me at the age of 22, which was the same year that I, en- I entered the PT industry. So I was like, I need to na- make a name for myself. So I didn't know how to do that. And then entrepreneurship introduced itself to me. And that's something I started gaining a little traction on. And that's where I was like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. Or, hey, I think I've got something here. Or, hey, I'm starting to get some recognition. I'm starting to gain some fame. Uh, I'm starting to gain some power. I'm starting to gain some fortune. I'm starting to gain some pleasure. You know, pleasure being like I was able to go on different experiences and uh, able to buy a nicer car. So, you know, those are the four things that typically derail a man's life, fame, power, fortune, and pleasure. But I was starting to get small tastes of those things and I liked it a lot. <laughs> did you did you become derailed? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What did that look like? Um I think the thing the thing is is that I was blind to it. That's that's the interesting thing. I think everyone we're watching on social media who's projecting a lot of this stuff that we think they've figured out, they don't even know that it's got a stranglehold on them. And they've been brainwashed, deprogrammed, living in a matrix. Um, they have no clue of the dark side of their success. Um, I can tell. I hear some, I heard this um, individual the other day. I'll answer your question in a second for me, but big, big social media guy. He's just blown up and, and it's crazy because I can't say his name obviously, but I was considering having him come speak to our, our event. And then I heard his wife on social media talk about, and she was bragging about only spending 20 minutes a day with her kids. And I had to like rewatch it. It was one of my buddies. He does, uh, these review videos and he showed it to me and he said, why would you post this on social media? And I watched it and I'm like, why would she post that on social media? She only spends 20 minutes a day with her kids and she's proud of that. Um, and I'm like, I can't have this guy come speak at my event. And Vince, that's pretty judgmental. Hell yeah, it's judgmental. I need to protect my people who think that's okay. That's insane. So now I say that to kind of more self-reflect that on this journey, these vices can get such a strong stranglehold on you that you're not even aware of the consequences of not being engaged as a dad, um, not being engaged as a husband, um, find alternative vices that deal with the pressure of business, say alcohol. Um, that was something I turned to and, you know, wanting more. You know, having a, a group of friends that the conversations were built around, you know, what'd you do last month? Oh, we're closing on a mill a month. Oh, what are you guys doing this month? Oh, we're closing on two a mill a month. I'm like, holy crap. Like, imagine having friends that that's the conversation. Like, you're always going to feel inadequate or behind and feel like, hey, guys, guess what? We just hit our first mill a month. Oh, sick, Vince. Awesome. Finally. You know, that's the response. Finally. We knew, we knew you were going to do it. So... When you're in an approval, and again, it's good. Like I'm not, I'm not knocking it completely. It's just that there is a dark side to it that nobody talks about. Um, a feeling I that think, you're not, a feeling that you're not enough, or not so much. I don't. That's where it's rooted in. That's the interesting thing. You're, you're not like operating from a place of waking up in the morning and say, "I don't feel like enough, so I'm going to work really hard today." But that's just subconscious programming, right? So you create these behaviors. To, you know, maybe that's the lie that I'm not enough. So me achieving um, gives me identity. This is where I feel safe. This is where I stay. Um, so it is always rooted in that. I mean, not feeling enough is a human condition. That's that's the that's you know, for men that's fallen short of the glory of God, we've missed the mark because we don't feel enough. That's the human condition across the board. Like that's normal not to feel enough. We're fallen creatures, right? So, but for me, I just didn't realize that um, this this business um, it can alter your brain, you know. And I think this was the biggest thing that I learned recently. Um, 
people will relate to chemicals probably much more. Now they're starting to show that workaholism has the same chemical effect on your brain as alcoholism. Um, it creates the same, it creates the same neural pathways where it becomes addictive behavior. Work working too much is an addictive behavior. It's not a goal oh, giving my purpose, working for my purpose. I know my colleague. People say, I'm going to work hard until I'm 40, then I'm going to slow down. I'm going to work hard until I hit 50K marks, and then I'm going to slow down. It doesn't work like that. It's like putting chemicals in your body. It's like having sex with lots of partners. It's like gaining more muscle. You don't get it out of your system. The more you do it, you put it in your system. Yeah, And you get addicted to the high of these great revenue days, these great revenue marks, these, this reputation, the stage spikes you get when you're on in front of people. So what happens is you get the 50 K months and you're like, crap, I want more of that because it creates the dopamine is produced from anticipation. So you anticipate, well, what would it feel like to get the 70 K months? What would it feel like to get to hundred K months? And it, and you don't just flip that switch off. And that's what was happening to me. And I see that happening to my students and I see that happening to the entire world. It's is like the whole world is in trauma trying to soothe these pains from the past. And we do them um, with these behaviors that also give us our identity. This is the this is the interesting thing, right? These dysfunctions have also produced a lot of great things in my life. They've also created a lot of success in my students, but there's a dark side to them that um has to be acknowledged and they will show their ugly head at some point in your life. How do we avoid it or how do we change it? I think the first thing is to have an awareness of it. Um, a big thing since we're talking about identity is that most entrepreneurs build their identity around accomplishment, around doing, hitting milestones. What if that was all taken away from you? Most people would feel like a failure. Well, why? Like you have to start examining why are you, you know, this area of your life didn't succeed. Why did you associate your identity with what you do? So the big thing that this throws entrepreneurs for a loop is like, you're not what you do. You are who you are. And for us as you know, men of faith, we believe that our identity is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So He's giving me my identity. I'm the Son of God. That can't be taken away from me. I can't earn his love based on how much money I make. So for, for, you know, for first thing is to have an awareness that I have an identity that oversees what I do, All right? I can be a good, good man without making a certain amount of money, but we're hearing alternatively in social media that no, you're wasting your potential. You're settling, you're compromising, you're lazy. And all these guys spewing these messages, again, there's a lot of great stuff to these messages. I hope people don't hear me saying just one side. What they're not talking about is the dark side that this message is being fueled by anger, that their dad never recognized them. It's been fueled by a chip on their shoulder where they were told they were never good enough. It's being fueled by insecurity. It's being fueled by fear. And you have to question, what is my fuel source? What is driving me? And people say, oh, anger is good. You know, use it. And like to a degree, but it's not sustainable. You can't build a great life off of anger. You can't or you, build a- or, or you just become an angry or you can't turn the anger off. Right. Like then you if you if you build your business on anger, then you go home and you're angry with your kids and your wife. Right. Like that's who you become. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a toxic fuel. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to question, you know, how do you do this? You have to question, like, what is driving me? You know, what is, what is the motivation? Who, what, what is my identity? What gives me importance? What gives me value? And most people's value is found in what they do, what they accomplish and how much they have. And if that stops, then they feel like they're going behind and they're no longer valuable. So they're finding their value in their value bulls. So I think the first step is just literally to have an awareness of it. And if you start to, I mean, I start talking to my students just even about resting and sitting in their thoughts and their feelings and taking time off. And, and it's crazy. I get so much, you know, private messages like Vince, why is this so hard? Like, and why is this so hard? Like, I'm not, I'm like, well, because you've 
programmed your body to always be doing. And can I give an ex- can I give an example, Vince? We 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 had we had all my high school students, right? 15, 16 year olds. We were there was like I don't know forty of them, and we had a guest speaker, and he went around the room and said, "Hey, tell me something about yourself." Right? Said to every one of these kids, and every single one of them said, "Hi, I'm Adrian, and I'm I like soccer." Hi, I'm Vince, and I um, like, uh, you know, I like school, or I'm good at school, right? Every single kid went around. And at the end of it, the presenter said, I find it interesting that every one of us identified ourselves by something that we do. No one said, hi, I'm Adrian, and I'm a brother. Hi, I'm Vince, and I'm a son. Like, it's just what is inbred in kids, uh, you know, programmed into kids right from the beginning to identify yourself by not who you are but something you do and so for my students it's about their hobbies and their grade averages as we get older those things hobbies and grade point averages just gets replaced with career status and neighborhoods you live in right it's it's just like we never identify i i would rarely say this on hey how are you i'm adrian great to meet you i'm a loved father Right, like it just sounds. But that's exact. That's the thing they're gonna say at my funeral, though, right, Gavin? Like that's the thing that matters. Not, not Adrian made X dollars or or this impact. Like they're well, maybe they'll talk about my impact, but they're gonna talk about how much they love me. Like that's the stuff that actually matters. And yeah, we don't ever talk about it. Yeah, that our dad describes it as um, you know, when dudes talk, we have what questions? (laughs) It's don't get me wrong. This is my life. This has been my life for like 42 years. I'm just having a lot of these revelations the last seven plus months. Um, it's, hey, so what are you working on, Gavin? Hey, you know, uh, what's business looking like? Hey, uh, what, what, uh, um, you know, what's going well? You know, what's not going well? We don't say, hey, Gavin, do you like who you're becoming these days? Yeah. As a friend, you know, before we started recording, I asked Gavin that. Like, yeah, yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, but here's what's such a better question. Yeah, such a yeah, you know, question. here's here's what here's what's interesting. You know, I went to this event just uh, two weeks ago in Dallas, Texas, called Elevate Life Church, and it's run by um, Navy SEAL guy. Um, so we're interviewing him soon, and he um, he runs this group called Mighty Men. And it's 350 men that come together every Saturday morning from six to eight a.m. for for um, basically Bible studying for a little sermon and it's just like a lot of muscle like Texas got a lot of muscle these guys are probably caring and and, and like just like strong men of God and um my buddy Stu, Steve Kuklo he's a pro bodybuilder um you know brought a couple buddies and other big bodybuilders and or when they came first thing they said was man I need more of this and I and and I asked them, you know, what what was it that they mean by that? I need more of this in my life. And the overarching theme that most men are looking for is more openness, more vulnerability. I think the the reason for that is because a lot of men have built up this armor, whether it be the amount of money they make, the success they have, the the girls they date, the lifestyle they project. It's all a facade. It's they're all little boys covering themselves up in fig leaves, trying to, you know, see, does daddy notice me? Does daddy still notice, you know, do I have dad's approval? Do I fit in? Or do I, do I have a place here? And, um, and we don't create this space to talk and connect, emotionally connect because we don't see value on that. So when these men come into this room and they get to open up about, yeah, me and my wife, we're going through a pretty dark time right now. Yeah. I'm not sure if we're going to make it. And other guys like, holy crap. I'm looking huh, down at the gun of a barrel too. Like, wh- how long is this? Like, all of a sudden, these guys are like, I'm in a safe place. I can talk. And I think that's what's really missing for a lot of men. Um, I think we had that modeled really well. Our dad is maybe a little too open. Um, but it's a big struggle uh, for men to like, kind of shift their identity and who they're being and becoming versus what they're doing. Because it, there is this conflict of like, am I wasting my talents if I'm too relaxed and I'm taking time off? And it's like, it's not one or the other. And I think that's where people are getting confused because we're, we're all this one dimensional human being type message. It's like, no, you can work both into your life. Yeah. And that's, that's, what I, that's what I loved about endurance sport, right, Vince? Like 
I, I, I love that a lot of my best friends, like, you know, my funeral friends, the guys who are going to be at my funeral, or if I die young, will will take care of my wife and kids. They're all guys I grew up running with or swimming with or doing bikes with, right? Like we, I, I would find it difficult to sit down in a room of guys and say, hey, tell me about who you are. However, you know, the best conversations I've had with my friends, we were ripping down a hill or ripping down the backside of the escarpment near our house on our bikes or on my 37th birthday, we walked a marathon. Like we walked 42K and like talked. And and that's that to me is moving out of that one dimensional, like men can only be physical and moving into like men need to be physical. Let's not mistake that. Men need to be in action. That's why I found men's ministry at our church always difficult because it was always listening and passive. We were always like, it was so deep, but then what? It was just like, then what? Versus my sports, was so physical, but then what? And so putting a physicality together as what I loved what you were doing on your page, Gavin, like taking men up a mountain and then talking about life, right? I assume that like it, it, it goes together. It's a beautiful pairing of those two things because I do think men need to be in motion. Like whenever we host a men's event, what's the first thing we do at 7 a.m. when we meet up? We go lift, right? That's where we start. And then we go eat and then we share that that's kind of like the order you you kind of break into a man's heart but it i think it has to start with some kind of physical thing and unfortunately i think sometimes we we see that the guys who are who are really physical maybe like the way vince went in his career we might perceive that as like you know some kind of superficial or there's vanity attached to it when really he was just following like you know what was in what was wired inside of himself to be like a strong physical man who did a lot with his body. Um, and if you can do that without giving into that shadow side, as Vince talked about, I think that's a, that's a fully realized man. Um, we love some of the writings of like guys like John Eldridge who talks about wild at heart and he takes people out on, what does he do? He takes them like into the wilderness and, you know, on these cool men's retreats. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But I assume they're not just like, hunting i assume they're hunting and then they're talking about it as well right they're they're sharing they're going deeper about the significance of these things that's a wonderful way to you know do community with men the, the pairing of both yeah i think uh performance based esteem is is you know this is what you're talking about here is under, under that umbrella that men's self-esteem is based on their performances and that could be in every area of their life that could be with the woman or women they're with you know i'm i'm only as good as um the woman i'm with you know if, if she's good looking then that must mean that i'm pretty good looking or i'm pretty okay or that means the amount of money you're making or that means the achievements that you're creating in your sport or your training it's like i'm only good enough um, based on what i'm doing or how i'm performing and i think that's driving a lot of men um, into a, a hollow hole of emptiness because you know there's um, there's nothing of again as, as Vince mentioned there's nothing of significant value gained there you know there well you know you know it's, it's hard it's, it's the chaos of chasing ultimately yeah right and and it's hard it's hard in relationships because you know you you let the example I use is is let's use like getting ripped as an example. Right. So if you want to get ripped, what do you do? You go to the gym and you starve yourself, give or take. Yeah, I'm simplifying a, a plan, but but you see results every day in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you can see you see more abs. You know, this is the trend. If anyone followed my page in the spring, like every every day that I ate at fourteen hundred calories, I got leaner and leaner and leaner and leaner. And then when I went to eleven hundred calories, leaner. And, and so the correlation between those numbers and a physical result, boom, there it is. That doesn't work in a marriage, right? You can't, you don't get, in a marriage, it's more like you're sowing, this is a biblical analogy, I suppose, but you're you're sowing and you're investing and you're investing, but you don't see an immediate return on your investments, right? You just keep kind of, we like to talk about the emotional bank account. You continually put deposits in, deposits in, deposits in, but you can't see if it's actually like, is the interest working? How's the market? Like, are we actually growing closer in a relationship? And I think that's where men struggle because in 
in a relationship, there's no immediate feedback that it's working. I guess men would use like maybe the amount of sex they're having. Like, is that, yeah, we're connected. We're having more sex. I don't know about that. We went for performance based, yeah. Performance driven, right? It's like number of times you had sex this week. If you're in a relationship for any, let's be real honest here. Sometimes you go through seasons of marriage where you don't have sex for a long time because of, for example, when my wife was pregnant, right? Like, you know, just how she felt and then, you know, the recovery from the birth. Like, you just go through seasons where if my if my identity is tied up in how much time we're having sex, does that mean I'm a bad person or I'm, I'm less of a man during that? Of course not. That's when I rose up as a man the most, right, to provide for the family when she was so exhausted. So I think this merit-based thing we've been talking about works, but there is a shadow side, especially in relationships. Relationships, I think it... I don't know. You you have to you have to form success not around those what questions, but around who questions. I think. <laughs> well, men, well, men's only idea of intimacy, or men's only perception of intimacy, is uh, is sex. So, but there's so much more. There's four layers of intimacy, and it actually, if you look at a wheel, the way it's supposed to work, uh, the way God designed it, uh, or to to be the most impactful is when you first have spiritual intimacy. So you connect on a soul level, you're equally yoked. Um, the next is um, intellectual uh, intimacy. Your minds are on the same page. And then there's emotional intimacy. Um, the fourth, the, like, the, the final layer, which is the one that's meant to be unlocked last, is physical intimacy. But most of us, we start with physical intimacy and then we confuse it. Okay, we have physical intimacy. This must mean that we're going to be able to produce emotional, intellectual, and spiritual intimacy as well. So our whole society has been brainwashed, poisoned by lies that it's normal to have multiple partners, which is a complete lie. It's completely wrong. It's not how we're designed. It's not how we're wired. Nobody was designed to have multiple partners, um, no matter what people say. You know, Freud came around, started teaching all this stuff around, you know, pursuing your passions. It's complete BS. It's just destroyed so many people's lives. So that there are different layers of intimacy. Um, oftentimes in the relationship, the woman could start to feel like she is now being used when she's not getting the other levels of intimacy. She may be having physical intimacy and the guy thinks, hey, this is great. You got all this physical intimacy, but it's because she doesn't want to rock the boat. She feels she's trying to do her part as a wife to please, you know, fulfill her husband's needs. She's not getting her needs of intellectual, emotional, spiritual intimacy met. Five years go by, 10 years go by. She now feels like a concubine in the marriage. She wants out and the guy wakes up and says, what? What are you talking about? And these are things guys don't even really talk about or have awareness of, but yeah, it's to define your marriage based on how many times you have sex when maybe 75% of the times you're having sex, she's not even engaged. She's just like literally there as a physical being, but nothing else. Her soul's not there. Her mind's not there. Heart's not there. Guys don't even have a clue. Well, we had sex 37 times this month. And she's she's try- thinking in her brain, um, I, how many times was it for her? She maybe can count four. He counted 37 because he's counting 37 acts. She's counting four, even though there was 37 acts, because that's there was only four times. She was actually maybe slightly engaged. So males, females have very different currencies around, you know, intimacy as well. Um, you know, connection is, an, is a currency. Um, a lot of us men, if we're not wired this way, we run a massive risk of disconnecting from love forms. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can relate, Adrian. Yeah, I like you know. Okay, so I have thoughts, <laughs> and maybe this is and, and maybe this is because I didn't. So, as a school teacher, you know, you and I were saying before we started recording, every second Friday, Gavin, they put money in my account. Okay, I could do a, I could absolutely change students' lives, or I could shit the bed in every lesson I taught, and they're still going to pay me. So my my whole career has not been um, quite driven by financial gain. There is no financial gain in teaching. Like it's we we go up the metric by experience, not by skill. 
So if Vince was better or worse at his job, he could see a direct correlation in his bank account. So perhaps since that said, I chased status, I chased accolades and teaching. So I'm not saying like, I'm a teacher. I never pursued anything other than doing good to my students. However, um, on some level, I do believe my career path saved me a little bit from the feelings of, I don't know, like that if I did more, I could get more because I simply couldn't. My career didn't lead to more money from more effort. And I do think that mindset has helped me in my marriage. Um, if there's one thing I'm proud of in our marriage, in my life, it's my marriage. And I think it's because Amy and I, my wife Amy, we've been married 15 years. I think we have pursued some of these. I really like this illustration that Vince has laid out. We've pursued some of these other types of soul, intellectual, and and emotional connection. Physical for us, like that's probably the biggest disappointment in our marriage. I don't know if it's a disappointment, but like area to improve, the physical side. Because we have these other pieces. That sounds arrogant to say, but it's true. Like I'll, I'll say, and, and we've done it just like anybody else forms habits around going to the gym or eating healthy. Amy and I have some really good, I'd call them rhythms, family rhythms that have allowed us to stay aligned. Um, and I think the number the number one form of intimacy, This is if there's anything ever worth writing down in what I say, I think the secret to marriage is understanding the other, your partner and liking those things that are different. But what I mean by that is we often understand how our partner is different than us and we like resent it a bit. We're like, oh yeah, there's Gavin. Gavin's going in the lake again. Oh, there's Gavin doing his men's weekends again. We know these things about our partner and it it's like annoying. And so we like talk about them badly at barbecues or we like tease them a little bit. I think what's happened in my marriage is the things that make me me, my wife celebrates. Like she tells people about it. She never, my wife would never, you could, you could pay her a million bucks. She would not say a bad word about me. She'd say the bad words to me so that we could fix them. And so I just think like our marriage has existed around some of these layers of like soul connect, so spiritual connection, intellectual connection, emotional connection. The, the physical has been important. Like, sure, my wife's really great looking and I tell her she's getting better looking. Vince and I used to joke because we knew Amy's family growing up and we would like, look at her mom. This sounds weird <laughs> because it would give us a glimpse of what Amy's going to look like yeah, in 30 yeah. years, you know? So, so physical is important, but it's not number one on our list. And so I, I think I've been, I'm grateful that, that my path followed one that I don't know, by default or a little bit by design, we were able to pursue the deeper levels of, of connection. And the final piece that I would say, maybe to come back to what we started with, something that has really brought us together in our marriage is we run a charity together. It's called Hope's Rise, and it's for you know kids who live below the poverty line. And that charity that we run together brings our family together. So like if you imagine, our dad used to show us this illustration of a triangle and imagine like the, the, the top of the triangle is like the higher purpose. He used to say it was God. Our, our parents would say like that's God. And, and I would say like it could be God or it could be like a higher purpose. If for, us, if for us, it is a spiritual enterprise to do our service. But then if you imagine the two partners at the bottom bases of that triangle, as they pursue this higher calling, what does it do? As they both move towards that thing in the center, it brings them together. And so as we've pursued something beyond our own happiness or our own individual accolades, it's not only, you know, served, I, I hope, people, it's also brought us together. It's brought us into alignment with each other's um, passions. And so, yeah, I, to, to answer your question, you said you have thoughts. I have some thoughts. I, I think it's so unfortunate that marriages are are built on again I'm, I'm just looking at this illustration vince gave they are built on the physical and then maybe they get to the emotional maybe intellectual and then perhaps spiritual and if you can build them the other way maybe that's the recipe for um i don't know i don't know i, I wouldn't say a happy marriage we're not always happy in our marriage but certainly a 
pur- purposeful marriage? I would a, hel- a, he- a healthy one, yeah. He- healthy, healthy marriage, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, man. That's uh, that's beautiful. So, yeah. That's it's hard, though, right? Mar- mar- marriage is hard, man. Marriage is so freaking hard because it's not like the gym. The gym, you know, this morning I'm going to go clang and bang. We're going to just hammer it out, and that's me. It's me against me. In a marriage, it has to become us. It's us together. You're not fighting against something. You're just fighting with each other. But but you have to get on the same page. And I think that's the hard part, just like delighting in the other person. That's so, so hard because you have to... Vince, how did Trevor define... We had Trevor Bachmeyer. I don't know if you know... Do you know Trevor Bachmeyer? He's like the Spartan. He's like this big masculine guy. Uh, he talks about... Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. And Trevor talks about vulnerability. He says vulnerability is when you give the other person every tool in the arsenal to obliterate you like you give them access to your inner world and know that they won't weaponize it against you that's when you're truly vulnerable and it's hard to get to that place yeah what happens if uh what happens if you are on different pages um how do you get on the on the same page is is there a strategy principles there that you can apply (laughs) you're screwed gavin (laughs) a lot of a lot of stuff i'm learning is you know, your, your therapist that we're working with said, one of the first things she said is, the first thing I need to figure out with you and, and your wife is, is it um, your dad's fighting with each other? Is it your dad and her mom? Is it her dad and your mom? I need to figure out who's fighting with each other. So a lot of us, our subconscious programming is coming from voices we heard before the age of 15. So when me and my wife are fighting, it's really my dad and her mom fighting. Hmm. Something that she was raised to hear, something I was raised to hear, those voices are now conflicted. Um, I think it requires really unpacking all the traumas from your own past, first of all, before you can even touch the relationship. You got to start with your own stuff. You know, were you raised defensive? Were you raised judgmental? Do you have uh, a sense of self? the lack of self-worth and built inside you, wired inside you that is now being triggered when you're in the relationship when, you know, she she says, hey, you left the bathroom light on and then you flip out getting defensive thinking that that was an attack. Um, no, she was just sharing something with you. Why did you get so defensive? I'm not appreciating. Like, okay, so, so now we're starting to get into some interesting stuff. So I think the first thing is understanding the traumas from your pat from your partner's past right oftentimes when you're in a conflict it's you're not actually fighting with your spouse you're fighting with um some form of why that's become protection for them um they, they're they've created some type of numbing or some t- type of protection to um navigate life because of something that happened to them in the past and you, you, you know, most of us are wearing armor and you can't crack through until you start to understand, you know, why can't this person trust me? Like the root issue is that there's a lack of trust. Why is there a lack of trust? Oh, daddy walked out. Daddy never saw. Like who knows what it is? I'm making examples up. And then when you start to understand your partner's behaviors that are all based on the essential nervous system being hijacked from earlier experiences. You can start to realize, shit, I'm fighting with a seven-year-old girl right now. I'm not fighting with a 43-year-old woman. I'm literally fighting with a seven-year-old girl, and she's fighting with a nine-year-old boy. And when you start to have, like, able to become a conscious observer of a lot of the fights that you're in, you can start to even incorporate tools like grace and forgiveness and maybe some love, patience, understanding through the spirit, right? Uh, gentleness, joy. Can I, can I add one, Vince? It, yeah. This is not this is not a fruit of the spirit, but I would say curiosity is a huge hack for getting on the same page. Like my therapist says, someone probably paid a lot of money for a degree that taught them to say, "Hey," and "Huh." You, you know what I'm saying? Like you know your 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 partner says, "Use the bathroom." Why didn't you clean the bathroom? Huh? Why is and and I don't mean you you say you, you maybe don't say it out, out loud. It sounds condescending, but it's like why is the bathroom so important? What does the bathroom represent? Oh, the bathroom is a sign that 
um, I work so hard outside the home and you don't see me. You don't see what I do in this home and you don't appreciate me. And so I, I like to approach a marriage in, with curiosity. My wife and I have known each other. Here, Gavin, here's a stat. My parents were at my wife's parents' wedding. So if you can go back, you know, that many years. I've known my wife since I was born. Like we, our just families grew up together. And yet I still try to look at her with curiosity, like that I don't know her. I don't know everything. Oh, really? I didn't know that about you. Even though we've been married 15 years, have three kids, we've been through the ringer together. And so I think I love the fruits of the spirit. I just wanted to add curiosity to the mix, Vince. Yeah, no, just to think, unpacking it, just to add a bit more, it is starting to heal from things that happen from your own past getting awareness of why you are the way you are, getting awareness of why the other person is the way they are. And because, you know, oftentimes um, the, the Gottman Institute um, just did a, had a study on um, that 69% of problems in marriages don't get resolved. Um, and this comes from successful marriages. So in successful marriages, 69% of problems do not get resolved. Crazy. The difference is that the, why are they successful then? Because they learn how to manage the problems. They have tools to manage the problems. I think that's a huge piece to understand that having problems in your marriage, having disagreements, there's a huge thing in marriages where there, um, you know, a great book on uh, boundaries, um, boundaries in marriage specifically, um, it talks a lot about the necessity of separateness, male and female separateness, independence. When the woman has a separateness and a male has a separateness, so the man's out doing his thing. And heck, the wife has her own separateness. She has her own group of friends. She has her own interests. Um, that is very healthy. Separateness promotes togetherness. Um, it brings a couple together because you can increase uh, one of the key chemicals in a relationship, which is dopamine. Dopamine comes from mystery, novelty, newness, danger. Um, a lot of marriages miss that. They develop serotonin, which comes from having a home base, having a family, having some money in the bank, security, safety. Um, but the couples lose their separateness. And especially when you start having kids, this is why a lot of marriages really get crushed during the, the, the kid day, kid days where there's three kids in the house. Like you don't have time to go do a hobby, you know, understandably. But if you don't even have any awareness of this, you could wake up one day and be like, how are we so disconnected? And there's things that make a relationship work. So, you know, how do you do this? I think you start to start with some therapy. Um, we take supplements now that help calm the nervous system. So we're not talking from our traumas that we're out of fight or flight mode when we're fighting. Uh, we've got even some simple rules now. We're not, can't have hard discussions in a car. I can't have hard discussions after eight o'clock. Can't have hard discussions with alcohol. Have to have any hard conversations have to be outside in nature where there's energy to absorb it. There's, there's just like a gazillion different tools and, you know, support systems and things and books that you can start to work on to start learning this stuff. Um, I think most marriages don't start really working on the marriage though until there's a catastrophe. Not staying every marriage. Adrian's a great example of a proactive uh, marriage uh, relationship that's they're proactively working on it. I think most of us, um, unfortunately, have to have something at some form of catastrophe in the marriage before they wake up and realize, holy crap, this isn't working. This temporarily bit isn't working. And I think another catastrophe depends on is when the kids leave the house, right? I think I think I think a lot of marriages, what I like at eighteen, I think a lot of marriages work because they revolve around the kids, right? Like let's get the kids to their activities, make the kids happy, and then when the kids leave, just like then what? Yeah, we don't even yeah. like yeah, we don't like it. We don't like each other. We we right. we 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 haven't been intentionally. In, it's it's like a muscle. If you don't exercise your chest for 18 years and then you try to go back to chest, the muscle's atrophied. You've probably done long-term permanent damage. So it's like, screw it, I'm never doing chest exercises again. And so I think it's so important that couples continue to date, even when, especially probably 
When the kids are first born, you spend lots of time together because it's like fun to go for walks and dads are more engaged now than ever. When you get into the years, I think your kids are at Gavin and mine and Vince's kids are at like that 10, five to 15 year. It's so busy, right? And it's so monotonous, like same old lunches, same old morning routine, same old pickup time, same old bedtime. And if you're not careful, you can just slip into the rut of the same old. Yeah. And you don't ever have time for any levels of intimacy with your partner because you're just driving your kids to literally I'll be at soccer practice with my sons all day tomorrow. And I have to find time in the day where Amy and I at least can have a tea together. Like at least we can sit for 15 minutes and talk. Otherwise, it's too easy to feel like you're busy, but you're never connected with each other. Mm-hmm. Complacency is a big thing, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. Well, you get comfortable. You just get comfortable in the in the routine of, uh, don't get me started on busy. We'll do that on another show. But it's just like we we almost like celebrate the busiest parents. Who are the busiest? But again, and it goes back right to the start of our conversation. Maybe it's a good way to close of, of like now parents are celebrating. Are you a good parent? Well, my kids are in soccer and dance and piano and they have high hours. We're just doing the same thing again. We're just defining ourselves now by our kids' schedules, right? Our kids' uh, um you know, and and there's nothing wrong with celebrating your kids' accomplishments, but it beco- but if it becomes like a marker of your intimacy in your marriage, I think there's something gone a little bit awry there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the big thing, and again, kind of circling back to what we mentioned before, and my therapist actually told me this some time ago, where I was talking about the background and like we've we've talked about, you know, all all my accomplishments and achievements and. I was telling her about times when my parents told me that they were proud of me, but they only ever told me they were proud of me after I'd achieved something. And she asked me, did they ever tell you that they were proud of you for just being a gangly, awkward teenager? I was like, no. <laughs> and oh, do you tell your do you tell your kids that you're proud of them? I said, probably not enough. And I actually went home that day and I said to Mason and Ariana at, at some point during the day, maybe during bedtime or, or whatever it was, I said, I love you. I always tell them that, that I love them uh, and I'm proud of you. And it's interesting, the response. Why? Yeah, right. Why are you proud right. of me? What, that's right. What did we do? Like, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't done anything to, yeah. like, I'm just proud of you for being you. Yeah, I was that. Their awesome. face lights up. Yeah, it does, Gavin, right? It's it's just, it's and you have to be so careful my favorite author is Henry Nouwen, and, and he has a great book called Life of the Beloved. And the whole premise of the book is that, again, we're, our background is, 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 um, is Christianity, and so this, this one lands for me. But it's the premise of like God looking down at, at his son and saying, this is my son, in him I'm well pleased. And he did nothing. It's not like it, that was not before he like saved the world. Like That was just period. That's the I, my, I'm well pleased with you, son. I'm well pleased with you, son. I'm well pleased. I don't care if you have a low average. Now I want you to live out your potential. At the same time, it's not based on those things. I love that question, though. They they really why why dad? Yeah, just because, son. Just because yeah. or daughter. Yeah, and, and, and already like Mason's five, and he's already being conditioned this way. You know where he's yeah. it's performance based yeah. pride. Yeah, yeah. I give you guys something cool. Um, yeah, I stole this from Keith Kraft, the pastor of Elevate Life Church in Dallas, uh, Frisco, Texas. And um, it was a Father's Day sermon. He had his um, two daughters and son up on stage. It was really beautiful just seeing the whole family share. They're all grown adults now with their own families with this massive respect for their father. It was really, really just a what a great picture, a vision for your own life to have the relationships with your kids on stage sharing at a church. But um, one of the things he instilled at an early age was giving his kids identity. And kids don't know who they are. I mean, now we live in a day and age where a kid looks down and looks at his penis and he doesn't know if he's a boy or girl. I mean, that's how messed up our society is now. And the simple act of giving your child a name, a nickname, and I stole this from him and I've done this with my kids. And, um, you know, I told my oldest daughter, Melia, the other day, I said, Melia, um, do you know what you contribute to our family? And she's a really mature girl. 
you know, she's a smart kid, like high, like 98 in school. And she goes, no, nine-year-old girl. He said, you know, you contribute to our family. And I said, you contribute wonder. When I look at you, I think of wonder. Your ability to do the splits, you're so thoughtful, you have a tender heart, how you take care of your brother, uh, John Luca, and your baby sister, Melia. And because you're so full of wonder, I'm going to give you the nickname Gem. Your nickname is Gem because a gem is full of wonder. And she just was like, just beaming. So, and I'm telling her, Melia, what's your nickname? Gem. I said, Melia, why is your nickname Gem? And she'll repeat it all. And I've given her identity that she's a gem because she's full of wonder. And I did the same thing with my little, uh, with my daughter, Abriana. And I said, Neely, Abriana, do you know what you contribute to our family? And she's four years old. She goes, no. She said, you contribute joy. You bring so much laughter and so much fun to our family. So I'm going to nickname you Giggles. And Abriana's nickname is Giggles. <laughs> And um, I did the same with my son. My wife doesn't like the nickname I gave my son. She thinks it's not like the most flattering. I called him Giggles, or sorry, him Goofy, because he's just a goofy guy. And I think it's like a flattering comment, but she doesn't think a boy should be nicknamed Goofy. So we have to figure that one out. But it's fine. Um, <laughs> I got two out of I got two out of three. But um, they, Vince, they, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some nicknames uh, <laughs> from a younger brother to a big brother. <laughs> and I, so, so the, le the lesson there is that, you know, as fathers too, as men, it's our job, it's our role. Yeah. Yeah. A, a man's role is to create life. That's the man's job to create life. So how do you bring your children to life? You give them an identity and, you know, God did that with us. Our heavenly father did that with us. So as an earthly father, I want to do the same with my kids and just giving them that simple nickname and reinforcing it, which makes them feel unique and one of a kind and different, and there's nobody else like them in the world. Their identity is being rooted by the father. That is the father's job. And then because we live in a world where there is another father, father of lies, Satan, who's here to confuse us. And he's the God of confusion. He's the father of confusion. And he will do everything in his power to confuse you into believing you're something that you're not. And this is what we've been talking about the whole time, identity. And this is why we live in such a, you know, fallen society, fallen world, such confused world because people don't know who they are. I think that's something that we need to start figuring out who we are and we can start to pass those gifts to our children as well to give them a better foundation to build from. Incredible. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to steal that too, man. That's significant. Yeah. yeah. Man, is there anything else that you want to add to this podcast before we wrap it up? I know, Vince, you've got a, a speaking event coming up? Yeah. Um, you know, I run the Seven Figure Mastermind. It's a coaching program for uh, fitness professionals who want to launch their business online or scale their business online. And our next live event's in Nashville, Tennessee, um, October 12th to 14th. And uh, yeah, we get a lot of people that fly in around from the world. And uh, it's a lot of very high caliber individuals who like having these type of conversations. In fact, we have a pretty... Uh, I consider much more mature um, audience, lots of people who are looking to build businesses well. Our big theme, Gavin, these days is not a bigger business, but a better business because a lot of guys are getting destroyed by the whole bigger is better and we're teaching better is better and that looks different for each person. So trying to take all this identity stuff that we've talked about today and tie it into, you know, what does business look like when it's done well? Brilliant. Adrian? Yeah, about Vince's mastermind. Gavin said before we started recording that he's going to fly to the states for it. So we'll uh, we'll we'll <laughs> that's out there now, man. Yeah, yeah. maybe a lot out there. Yes. Don't yeah. edit this out, Gavin. Locking a lot of good podcast guests there. Yeah, you yeah, know for sure. G Gavin, the the last thought I would say, and this has been such a rich conversation. Um, it, I I I like to think again. I'm going to go biblical here. But I think a lot of, and I took this from an author called Richard Rohr. He says a lot of people, the first half of their life is the parable of the talents. You know that, like the master gives out talents and you go and prove yourself in the world. And then the second half of life is the parable of the prodigal son. It's about how are you going to come home? How are you going to finish? And for most people, they don't start asking those second half life of questions 
until they're 65, 70, until they've retired, until they're done doing. And I think if there's a good switch you could offer is like, start to ask the questions about how do I want to come home? How do I want to be remembered? How do I want to be seen by my people? Start asking them in your 30s. Ask them in your 40s. Don't wait until your 70s to start asking like, who am I? And then you start realizing, oh shoot, wow, this is this is what I've got and I've got 15 years left. Well, I can't change anything now. And so I think it's important to start asking those second half life questions well before you get to the end of your life. Um, and as I was just thinking about that as we were talking. Um, if people want to find more about us, they could find Vince at Vince Delmoni on Instagram, at Vince Delmoni, and I'm at Men of Bedrock. Uh, those are the two places on Instagram. That's where we're most active. And we just love connecting with with guys. Love, We have a great year-long transformation program for, for men, and we cover all these three pieces. We cover physical, we cover emotional, and then we cover um, mental. And it's just daily habits. How do you form habits? And we start with physical, as we said today. We do start with physical, but then we build it into the relationship. Like, how do you have habits that are going to help your kids, help your wife, um, help you have a home that is grounded in purpose and not production or... Anyways, I just like how we've covered a lot today. Gavin, you asked some really great questions. Yeah, Thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. The time absolutely flew. And uh, yeah, holy cow! <laughs> I Vince, feel, what time I, is I, it for you? It's five eighteen. Five eighteen in the morning. Um, yes, yes. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. the dedication and the commitment here. So, yeah, um, and I'm absolutely uh, full to the brim with inspiration and information and and knowledge and insight here. So, uh, thank you so much for sharing that with me and with the audience. And. Uh, yeah, until next time, man. Until uh, until I see you all in America. Yeah, <laughs> Gavin, thank you, awesome. buddy. Awesome, Gavin. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.